Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Spirit Wad podcast. I'm your host, Will Maddox. This episode is the last episode in the first volume of this podcast. I tried to give a good idea of where I want this podcast to go with these first three episodes by interviewing a variety of not only athletes, weightlifters and martial artists and functional fitness, but also spiritual disciplines as well with Norse mythology and Christianity and now yoga all represented. So today's guest is someone I reached out to before this podcast was even an idea to discuss some of the finer details of kundalini yoga, which I myself am a practitioner, and also jujitsu. So I knew we'd have a lot to talk about right off the bat. He is a yogi, a mystic, and a jujitsu black belt. And when I reached out to him, he was gracious enough to offer his time and sit down and discuss some of these things with me. Zach Prakash is his name. I hope I'm saying that right. It's a Turkish name, so please forgive me, Zach. And uh, I will try to be better about that. He's better known on the Instagram as at mythical bull. So you can look him up there. He has a school in New Mexico. And um, what follows is a maybe more esoteric conversation than some of the other ones, more metaphysical conversation, but also a great history on the Turkish people. And I found the entire thing to be very entertaining and informative. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. And without further ado, let's get it on. Episode 3 of the Spirit Wad Podcast with Sacrakash at Mythical Bull. Wife hates them, but I I eat one at least one every day. Yeah. Um. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, Sash, thanks for uh, taking the time to sit down with me today. Let me uh, start off just tell you a little bit about the the podcast that we're doing here. Um, Spirit Wad is a non denominational cross discipline conversation between athletes you know, all over the globe. And really our goal here is to just kind of shine a light on different perspectives that people might have. And for a long time, I've been fascinated with the interplay between spirituality and uh, fitness. And so, you know, we're really looking for those people out there that are spiritual, you know, consider themselves to be spiritual beings um, from whatever lineage they come from in that, in that area. And then also that engage in the physical at the same time through fitness, athletics, competition, and sort of that just balance there and that interplay. And I just think it's so fascinating. And, and the more I get into it, the more I find just little rabbit holes to go down to and stuff. So uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time. Thanks you for allowing me to hold the space here. Cause you know, for a lot of people, this might be a difficult conversation or something. They're not super, um, you know, comfortable kind of talking to in public. So uh, that's why we're doing it. Cause I think the more we get people to 
to be comfortable with this conversation, then the more the conversation happens and the more it grows and evolves and it's just going to be a net positive for the world is kind of the goal. So yeah, thanks for coming down. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. I mean, <laughs> we've been Instagram friends and, um, you know, same with me. I don't, not everybody shares uh, a similar practice. Right. So that was like, I was like, Oh, cool. He's really working on his strength. He does Kundalini yoga. He trains jujitsu. I was like, this guy's cool. You know, I think there's a relationship we can build in that direction. Absolutely, man. So yeah, I want to get into that. Um, you know, I, I know a little bit about your, your background and some of this stuff from obviously Instagram. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, I, I'm into Kundalini. I know you're into Kundalini. So we'll definitely touch on that a little bit and how that, I mean, that's a, a great example of spirituality and fitness kind of blending right there. Um, but for the folks and obviously the jujitsu, you know, we both do jujitsu. Yeah. So there's another thing we could talk about for hours, but uh, for the people who maybe aren't familiar with you or listening, can you just kind of give a background of your, your fitness background first and just kind of where you're coming from, from a fitness, you know, maybe your journey or your, your disciplines you like to engage in, things like that? Yeah, of course. Um, well, I grew up in Istanbul, Turkey. I had a, I had a great family, um, just classic family household. We had a big yard. We always played soccer. My getting on the window, but he's going to give up. Um, we played a lot of soccer and, uh, my mom got me into tennis and swimming. And it's like, it was one of those moms, you know, like just, she's like, you got to do something. And whatever she wanted me to do, I was like, ah, kind of like, I have, why do I have to do something? You know, why do I have to do something? And, you know, continued tennis for a while, moved to the United States, moved to California, uh, Orange County, uh, we opened a restaurant. Um, but you know, that's like my little transition into from there to here you know without getting too much involved into it i played a little bit of tennis in high school but a sophomore year i signed up to what was la boxing back in the day la boxing in 2007 or 2008 and la boxing was a place where there were bags there were mats there were a ring and people kind of did everything there were cardio classes usually the people that worked there were fighters and i was in southern california so it's a big hub of fighters so I was lucky enough to train with MMA with a lot of um, MMA fighters, boxers, wrestlers, uh, people that are coming up, people that are famous in the UFC and other um, organizations. So I, I was really blessed to have that environment. And it was the first time I started tapping into my body and my confidence through MMA is because my coach was amazing. His name is Luke Adams. Um, you can all send him prayers. He's going through something. He's going through... Um, chemo and stuff like that so he's really showed me that I wasn't made out of glass you know because all these other sports we played it was very like I played soccer you know I played basketball I played tennis and tennis was an individual sport but at the same time it was very limited because you just have to run and hit the ball with the racket it's like you're very one-sided and it was like making my shoulder tense making my body tense I'm like oh stressing and not want to be there um MMA is, was cool because I kind of wanted to get in and like that was the way I wanted to get fit in high school. You know, I wanted to get fit, look good, um, be healthy. I was kind of like a skinny, ch skinny fat guy. I couldn't do push-ups, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I, could, I could barely do a push-up. It was just like I had a really funny posture and I was just like uncomfortable in my body. But like with Luke's push, um, in sparring, in jiu-jitsu, I was able to really break through and find my power. 
you know, and I was very passive, never aggressive. Like, you know, growing up, friends punching, hit and wrestle. I never engaged in that. I never even liked punching people back when they punched me. I was like, that sucks, but I don't even want to do that back to you, you know? But learning from an, a martial arts perspective has been a blessing in my life to this day. Um, later, after MMA training with Luke at LA Boxing, he got a job at Rain Training Center. And Rain Training Center was Mark Munoz was running it. And Rafael Cordero was uh, running the MMA uh, side of it because Rafael Cordero didn't have Kings MMA yet in Huntington that he opened later on. But before that, he, he was at Rain Training Center. So I was training MMA over there. You know, I started weightlifting weights. Um, there was a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt world champion, Marcel Lozado. He was a, one of the top black belts of Checkmat, Team Checkmat. This is 2010 and uh, like end of 9, 10 and, and into 11, you know. And uh, I got my blue belt at Rain Training Center from Marcel. Um, when I went to Chicago, I tried to go to school in Chicago. My dad's like, you know, I wanted to be a professional fighter because I had two amateur fights. I won them. And like, I was young and like really training. And, you know, my coaches love me. They're giving me a lot of attention. My dad was just like, what are you going to do? Like get elbows and elbowed in the face for money? Like it doesn't make any sense. And he kind of put a little pressure on me. And I, I couldn't find the strength in me to follow that like because i didn't even know if i wanted to do it but i was very i was potential you know You're good at it yeah i was 10 years ago like yeah 10 years ago and yeah i decided to go to school in chicago and for six months that's when i started training gi um because when i went there i had a lot of no gi jiu-jitsu experience and like mma experience and um, that was maybe me three years into my training you know three years into my training or so yeah um and the gi jiu-jitsu school i trained at was jeff seraphin's school um he's a megaton lineage he's in the megaton lineage so it was in the midwest chicago so that was a very interesting style i wasn't used to that and i realized I, oh like i shouldn't be this frustrated you know what i'm saying in nogi i felt so comfortable and that really rung, rung a bell anyways i moved back to california forget school my, my dad was trying to open a restaurant. He wanted my help to manage it in Huntington Beach. And um, I quit school. And in that same time, I wanted to prepare for Nogi Worlds 2012. And 13 Nogi Worlds. Yeah, 13 Nogi Worlds. And I saw when I was driving by in, in Costa Mesa, the AOJ Academy. Mm. You know, all white windows. People were training Nogi. I can tell they're training for the tournament. And at the time, my gym was breaking up. It was like these three Marines and um, my professor running it, and they all helped me train. So I'm not gonna. I'm, there's nothing against them, but it was kind of like I wasn't training, and there was, they had drama, and I kind of felt like that was my opportunity to go pursue my training. You know, I felt like that was a serious training I wanted. And then I got into AOJ in 2012. When after two months after they opened two or three months after they opened up. And then that was when I, you know, left Checkmat and that was a whole thing. I didn't know it was so serious, but it was a thing. Um, you know, I was one of the experienced blue belts in there. So I was able to um, really get better. And, you know, they, they liked me. Mendes Bros liked me, Hoffa Engi, Professor Hoffa Engi. And, you know, blue belts, we trained a lot. I competed some, I didn't compete a lot. I was still running the restaurant. I was doing my Kundalini yoga training at the time in Laguna Beach okay. with uh, my friend, Dana, uh, my teacher and friend, Dana Sarah. Her, she goes by Guru Fateh. And um, 
She helped me with Ashtanga yoga. She helped me. Uh, she taught me Ashtanga and Kundalini at the same time. And she saw me like very, like she saw me very highly because I was teaching, I was teaching um, jujitsu at the academy. She was teaching yoga. It was her academy. There was a Taekwondo program and a, and a Kundalini yoga program that she was teaching. And she really took me under her wings and, and she was older. She was an older, badass lady, you know? She's a um, snowboarder, actress, uh, done, you know, devotional service at, at very important temples in Asia. She's learned different things. And, and it was like very cool to spend time with someone that has such a practice. She had a practice and she's been teaching for 30 plus years of Ashtanga and Kundalini. And she spent time with all the yoga masters. So it was really cool to be around someone that has a really deep practice. And I really, I, I was so much from jiu-jitsu, uh, just my joints, like just playing the jiu-jitsu way, like one-sided, you know, mm. half guard, neck problems. And, you know, it was like really rough. I couldn't open my hands and stuff. And I completely like, no, I was not aware. I, my, I hurt my knee. I would hurt my wrist. I hurt my thumb. I hurt my shoulder. I'm like, well, this amazing practice is so powerful. It gets me into the flow state. But at the same time, like something is off. I keep getting hurt. It Life shouldn't be this like, like this. Like I believe in intention and, and growth, you know? So uh, that, really, that really made me question my practice and my intention at AOJ. And when I realized that, maybe that wasn't for me like the way uh, my professors found success maybe isn't the way I need I I, I have to find success um, and I realized um, like what I questioned why am I here I looked around I was one of those days like I got really hurt man I, would, I was gonna do this tournament and you know like this your coaches want you to compete you want to prove yourself and you want to do good right and you know you're training with all the big big names in there and and it's, it's no joke i was you know i was there training um gi and no gi but at the same time teaching teaching the gi class teaching the kids class teaching the um beginners class at the same time hafa was training for no gi you know training for adcc so when hafa trained for adcc he had a whole camp coming up he had diet he had a whole list of things he had to do and he needed a training partner. And since I had no gi experience from MMA and I was, I was like tough, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of knowledge of the game that they played, but I was tough and, and natural and young enough to like, just kind of give him a good fight, I think. Um, and then he training partner and I was Hoffa's training partner for the ADC, the first one, the full camp and the second one, um, half camp, because we had a little disagreement and I ended up leaving AOJ. I was a purple belt. It was 2015. Um, but before, it was a lot of hard training and and really trying to keep up with the program that they had just started. They're young. They're amazing jiu-jitsu athletes and professors, you know? And it was just like a blessing for me to just take, take part in that area. And one of the... I remember like a couple of times I got really injured before... Um, wanting to compete and prove myself to my professors. And it was, it was painful because it was, it, was it was just like, this is not helping me, me getting injured, me pushing myself this direction. I can see I'm hitting the same wall, you know, for a few years now with my emotional kind of barrier there. And I had to take a step back and question why I train. Why am I here? 
Like I looked around and I'm like, why are all these training? Why are all these people training? Like, why are we all coming here for hours a day, beating the shit out of each other? Um, and it's amazing, you know, there's a creativity, there's empowerment, but then at the same time, there's a, a lot of misery and pain and suffering. You can see it in people's eyes and the stress and, and you know, people, people try to cope with these things with, with different where various ways that could also be harmful to them um, or have a backlash in the future. I don't even want to get into the topic because it's a very sensitive and personal topic. I believe everybody should question themselves. Um, do you want to keep your body pure and do you want to keep your body clean or do you want to alter your nervous system in a way you can't keep track of it or affect it and impact it in a way where it's going to take a time to um, rehab itself and you might like have all kinds of differences in the world that would be challenging um, in that scenario because um, you kind of disturb your nervous system or you got it used to something um, unnecessary or not sustainable with approaching kind of recovery or approaching practice, you know? Uh, so that was a big wake up call for me. I realized I love jujitsu. I love the practice. I love how it's transformed my life. I found my spirit through it. I realized that I really find my spirit through jujitsu and I didn't call it spirit at the time. I call it flow. <laughs> at the time I was, I flow. This is kind of, I start talking very like hippy dippy, almost mm -hmm. like, Buddha quotes and whatnot. I'm like, this is very interesting. Like this kind of opened my mind up to actual teachings of yoga and meditation from the East. And that's when I really started like seeking. And, and that's when I asked my, um, you know, at the time, my future yoga teacher, I was like, so I want to do some sort of Ashtanga training. Should I go to India? Should I do this? She said, oh, there's a, a you know, whatever, all the Ashtanga yogis are here. So you don't have to go to India. You can go here, there, or you can be with me. Cause I try I studied with the Ashtanga master and I teach Ashtanga and I was like, Oh, perfect. I don't need to go anywhere. And that was really like a, and I had a lot of like rib injuries at the time. My, I realized three years after it happened, but my sternum broke, it was a twisting thing. And you know, it hangs and blocks my diaphragm. So I was in a lot of blocked breath. I was like blocked by my breath. Um, and you know, just a lot of other, growing tensions of being a young man you know like hormonal stuff and personal stuff stress whatever all the stuff i couldn't cope with it i just took it in my body i got really tense and uncomfortable in the person i don't want to be um and when i found this legitimate yoga practice a discipline of personal practice of building your sadhana you know building your daily self-grit discipline um i was able to really uh heal my body um, find freedom in my mind and actually experience like ecstatic states of consciousness, psychedelic states of consciousness within my practice. And I learned over time by making mistakes, not to get, just get high on the practice to get higher. Cause at the end of the day, my lineage teaches me to serve, you know, serve in my actions and my, my will, um, and get out of the way of the divine will so that you can, your wine, your will is the divine will at that point of alignment and, you start really noticing where you want it's not and how the backlash of karma is, is altering your experience as a human. You know, you might have, you might be creating a lot of challenges for yourself. I'm still learning, still growing. Like I said, building a, building a spiritual practice and I don't know what being a spiritual person means because to me, we are all one soul, you know, we're the same soul having a little, um appearance on stage in time and space and we're able to um learn through our experiences that's really what it comes down to so i think you, we can never stop that we can never stop learning through experiences we can never stop feeling better 
but that doesn't mean you should take out take your route in a unsustainable way so i learned the real like like whatever drugs or alcohol or all the stimulants or steroids or painkillers whatever they are they're out there they can be utilized um, they can be sacred but at the same time the human ego is very sensitive and it, it just slips from sacred to not sacred really fast so it's really hard to keep up keep up with that race so might as well surrender and and devote and serve serve your um self your community um the cosmos you know and that's what really works for me that's what i found like my my biggest blessing is my realizing that i am causing my experience um and when I don't realize that, it's really painful. And I have to realize that to grow. I have to check with myself. I have to acknowledge my flaws and mistakes and sadness and void, you know? So fighting definitely helped me with my fitness journey. But at the same time, um, I'm still working on my fitness. I'm still working on my mind. You know, to me, to me like, I think fitness is great because it's a very good, great term to fit and healthy. And automatically, you raise your vibration by being healthy. And, you know, if, on top of it, if you have a discipline of fitness, then you're even more, um, more in line, right? But at the same time, I try to tell people this, and it's like, I'm not saying anything is better than the other. I'm not saying love and contentment can't be, can be, can't be found, but it's just different, these different lineages of spiritual teachings throughout time and space, like real, real yogic masters that have walked this earth and shared really direct teachings of conscious living like a like a yogic philosophy and yogic lifestyle and yogic diet um these are something very profound and very uh meaningful and in depth like they're very um sacred and special and i feel like it can't be compared to just taking a jog in the morning it's just like so much more than that does that make sense like this is education this is like very humanology is about education about being human um so i feel like that direction is is like what's helped me a lot is taking more of a holistic approach to fitness you know kind of like what you're talking about you're trying to bring these people that have realized that through different things because man you awaken your energy when you push your body you mm. break your mind you break myths when you push your body magical things happen and uh, people realize this and they're like wow let's figure out different ways we can do this right and that's what yogi, that's where all the Kriyas come from. It's everybody like really diving into those, man. Like some of those Kriyas are, they have to be perfected and, and things need to be understood the energetically, the angles and everything to really, um, really utilize the manual, you know, for human consciousness. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful, brother. Uh, so many directions I can go from there. I mean, uh, the, I, I want to circle back, but this just the similarities between, I think, you know, your journey and my own, you know, there's so many similarities there with getting into martial arts and how that impacted the spirit, uh, maybe ignites sort of that, that warrior spirit or fighting spirit, which then opens your eyes to spirit in general. And then, you know, like you said, well, if you're going, going, going hard the whole time, like, you know, there's, you're going to need something to balance that out and to kind of recalibrate and, and heal the parts that are get, get hurt from all that go, go, go. So, but before, before we kind of jump into that stuff, I wanted to ask you a question, you know, you're coming from, from Turkey, moving to America at a young age. Like, did you growing up, did you 
or your parents celebrate any sort of religion or spirituality um, before oh. that? Or oh, great question. Because like I'm from Turkey, and Turkey is uh, has an amazing history. You know, in 1923 it became a republic, and actually <laughs> before that it was Ottoman Empire, and Ottoman Empire like was really powerful for hundreds of years. Um, and it was, uh, it was uh, Islamic, Ottoman Empire was Islamic, and it chose not to convert religion when they conquered, you know, so they had a different approach. Um, so that ended, bro, that age ended with the World War for Turkey. World War I, 1914, to 1918. And during that time, the Sultan family ran away. Um, they're like, we're getting, you know, we're getting slammed. We're going to get out. So the uh, Ottoman Empire didn't have any sort of leadership or anything like that. So one guy, well, it was a, he was a military dropout guy. His name is Mustafa Kemal. And what he did, this is a very interesting because you asked me about like the religion in Turkey for my family. Mm -hmm. So this is an important character in that because it, it created a whole different um, country because of this guy. <laughs> What he did was, first of all, he was young. He stepped up and he formed the army together. I don't even know exactly how, but he met, met, met these city. He met these people in these different cities, formed an army, and defended um, Turkey. What it is Turkey? Because Ottoman Empire was Ottoman Empire, but people were the Turks. Like their their ethnicity were Turks, um, and they at the time Ottoman Empire wrote in Arabic and spoke Turkish. Um, that's how it was. That's old Turkish was written in Arabic uh, alphabet. And so after 1918, when after the World War I, um, Mustafa Kemal, they call him Atatürk, they call him the Holy Turk. <laughs> I'm not trying to get all patriotic, patriotic here. I'm just explaining like the, um, there's a great, great ending. So he kind of saw how the West was kind of evolving in a different societal way. And he saw kind of how religion was kind of corrupting the country. So first of all, he, he formed a republic. He said Turkish Republic. Does that make sense? He, he, it's not an empire anymore. It's a whole system of republic. So he, he did that, 1923. He changed the alphabet from um, Arabic to Latin. And then <laughs> he changed all the you know, numbers and also took religion out of the government. He took religion out of the government. This is 1923. He's like, he saw it, you know, he's like, this is kind of not working out. We're going to really, he said, he saw it like spiritual practice too sacred to go and get involved in these corruptions. Mm -hmm. That was approaching separating. It wasn't dissing it. It was more like this, like this too sacred and it's getting polluted. Right. Um, and he, like Turkey wouldn't exist if he didn't step up and, and you know, make things happen and made a big shift. And um, he, he's a controversial figure in the sense of he wasn't for a while. And then now the new president is a different person. And he's very kind of like a dictator in a way and anti this anti Mustafa Kemal. And there's some like bubbling up going on. Like anyways, but I was raised not religious at all. Happy hour lifestyle. Like my dad barbecued. And, you know, he liked having a drink every night. Same with my mom. Nobody wore anything. I've never been to a mosque in Turkey. Like maybe once my grandpa decided to show me. 
you know but same with my grandparents they were very liberal in turkey because you know religion can get dogmatic and and in those type of countries like being liberating is liberal is liberating um in the united states uh it's a little more stretched out the far left is more stretched out and i feel like the rights compared to the middle east is more to the left you know um so i come from that type of a government um but we never we never was like my parents always said oh yeah we believe in god but we just we're just not religious which was kind of vague i don't think they had they understood completely but they really had to values and a higher type of living where people they have to be kind you have to be good people we have to really be honest like that these great high values in society it was a big, it was about community about and family um and, and and enjoying life so i had a really great childhood um so when we moved here when i got into like the spiritual stuff like later on they thought i was kind of getting pulled into some sort of like um like they thought any spirituality that wasn't put aside was too much you know but i started meditating and chanting every day kind of freaked them out at first mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and i was like dude you guys are like i'm understanding like when we speak turkish we say a lot of different words that are so like tied to um the quran you know it's like i'm like our it's in our culture to be like spiritual it's in our words that we use it's 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 like about the um it's about the subtlety of the creation and subtlety of the human experience like emotional things like the way you mean things your tones turkish is a very complex language so i was like it's in our language like why are you guys freaking out about me meditating and chanting like for, you know but i think that's what happens when you start tuning into yourself and taking care of yourself people will question like what's going on did i do something <laughs> why is he like not reacting to my drama <laughs> so we have a like we have a obligation there we have a little responsibility there if you have a spiritual practice and if you're sensitive use that to like for others and remind yourself for that because you can't go back yeah. awesome yeah that was that's fascinating to to hear about the history of turkey there and uh that guy seems like a i mean just from what you've told me sounds like a very special person to be able to have done all of that especially at that time in history yeah people people have written books and you know about like the top leaders of the last century and stuff like that so he's always mentioned by by a lot of historians because it's very fascinating um in a way so you you may have mentioned it and maybe i missed it but uh around what age did you kind of find this this current path that you're on with spirituality whether it's the you what, what <sighs> age did you find kundalini and and yoga and things like that i think by 2011 and 12 i was trying to breathe deeper kind of like control my emotions a little bit or like whatever I want to call it that didn't work you know but I was noticing I was becoming aware of these things I was becoming aware of a lot of pain in society I was looking at a lot of negative things and looking at a lot of pain and feeling it in my body I'm like ah uh, I don't want to take part in the this is like age 9 18 19 20 yeah um and you know I started doing yoga I think in 2000 10 or 11 here here and there I would I was open to it you know but like in 2012 and 13 I really like really wanted to open my feel comfortable and, and be the person I wanted to become you know and yeah it took it took a long time and now I'm realizing a lot because <clears throat> you can use the practice in a way where it won't be helping your life too you know you can it's like anything you know like anything so you could, 
it could be used like a drug or it could be used to energize a, a mission that's not pure. And so it really comes down to your, you know, again, like your heart, your compassion, the service to humanity. You might want to have a guide, some mentor to kind of show you the practice before um, trying to figure it out, you know, or have conversations with people. Be open about that. You know, it's really hard. It was really hard for me to, because I'm all about fixing my own problems. Like chiropractor couldn't fix me. That guy couldn't fix me. That guy just wants to take an x-ray. I'm like, guys, have a conversation. You're not even hearing me out here. So much deeper than you think, right? You would expect those professional in white coats would know that. Um, some do, but some don't. And uh, you can't generalize it at all. But yeah, so I was young. It's been eight, nine, eight years or so. Eight, nine years I've been practicing like rigorous kundalini yoga. And, you know, there's been, I've been through phase of my meditation and of my body. Um, I think it's important to go through those blocks, you know? So you mentioned, um, you know, in your Kundalini practice, having some of these almost out of body or uh, peak experiences, you know, and, and I have as well through the practice of Kundalini, but I'm curious um, for you and on your journey, is there one or two key moments that stand out to you that kind of almost like maybe like a lightning bulb moment, or even if not that a moment that looking back, you realize, Oh, this is kind of what started it all. This is kind of got what me thinking about things at a deeper level, a less of a materialistic level. Is there anything that comes to mind when you think of like peak experiences? So it was really funny because I was doing my Kundalini training. It was the first time I was open to spirituality. And I was learning about these things and I was kind of like also a little scared or like cautious because I was like, like I'm from a country where there is spiritual dogma, you know? So I'm like, because it makes you think that it's full of shit. Like what those guys are doing is ridiculous. Now I realize everyone's doing yoga. Now I'm like, you go to a mosque, you go to the temple, you go to there. Everyone's doing some sort of meditation, devotion, prayer, meditation, devotion, prayer, meditation. Like that's what it is. You clean the temple, you wash your feet and go say, thank you. Um, you leave. And you know, that's a different story, but uh, <clears throat> what sticks out the most is, I think, seeking what sticks out the most, <laughs> you know, constantly. And that was the first thing that came to mind. Um, yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind. But there's another significant event that happened that really gave me a different perspective in life. Or not a different perspective, I'd say. I'd say a very transformational experience. How about that? It was a transformational experience that evolved my understanding and maybe lessened my judgment. And now I learn to go through that process. Like practice makes you go through that process because ego inflates. you got to deflate it just like the body. You know, you have layers to yourself. And we have different types of bodies. You have different energetic bodies and, and, and um, charges of the mind. So... It's, it's more complex than like <clears throat> seeking a, a high, like getting high. Because that's like, you can get high, but you won't even know where you are. Like self-awareness isn't that, you know, getting high is getting high, you know. But like you can, if you can get a higher perspective, then you're high, you know, whatever. What is high? Like that, I really lost that. Um, but <laughs> so my friends came to me with some mushrooms when I was... Um, doing going through my teacher training and it's funny because 
I was always close to psychedelics or any sort of drugs. Um, I smoked weed and, you know, drank uh, beer and wine, but I never, like, I never steered. You know, my dad was very good at educating. He's like, you know, mild things are fine, but other things kind of can fuck you up, you know. And I really took his word a lot. We had a really tight relationship. And um, so I was always, also, it's a little bit of, like, fear-based. So it's like, you're scared of it. You know, you're a little, God. And, but when I was doing my Kundalini training, you know, Yogi Bhajan was talking about, or his history, you know, was when he went to Woodstock. When he went to Woodstock and he told those guys doing all kinds of psychedelics and drugs, hey guys, get higher with your breath. Like, if you're trying to do that, do this instead so you don't burn out. And then that, that's when I realized, I'm like, oh, that's the same headspace? It's all one headspace? Wow, I kind of have a, like, had like a, it was like a different way of introducing me. The psychedelic world was like through yogic perspective of relating psychedelics and I, that kind of made sense and i was like oh you don't have to do that because that will that's not a sustainable way of practice but it's it's a way to break through right mm-hmm. and a lot of different lineages have used that over time um but i don't think it justifies most of the practices that are going on today about <laughs> a lot of shit shows around you know i love it can be helpful but there's no discipline and, and structure in the teaching you can have one great huge experience and you meet god and then, like, just your life, you think about that experience and that interaction, and you're, like, not even present. So I think that's what the thing was. But the thing, thing is about, you know, that's the dangerous part of psychedelics. It can add more stress and longevity um, than help, um, you know. So you have to be really cautious with the usage of those. I would just, that's the only thing I would say. But that day, we had some mushrooms. <laughs> and... And then I'm just like walking and I remember I'm just like deep into the teacher training. I'm deep into my spiritual practice at this journey. I'm questioning everything and I'm open to the, what the yogic philosophy and yogic history and the practice is offering me. So I've been working on my channels opening, doing yoga, meditation, um, really, really trying to like live presently and all this stuff. I had like really good intentions and wanted to help kids. Like that was my, I, that's still my thing. I love teaching kids. So that I, like I had a really positive direction in life already. So when I had the mushrooms, I was like, kind of feeling what's going on and I realized oh my god this is like what's always the truth you know or whatever the revelation I had this is what's always the truth like this is all the time we're high like all the time we're psychedelic this is just kind of allowing us to tap into the thing that I was studying already you know mm-hmm. tap, into the, tap into the cosmos the frequency of truth you know the true name the true identity of creation that we're one with and I was like, guys, told my friends that it's totally like flowing, you know, just like everybody else that does psychedelics. You're like, Jesus, <laughs> right here, right here. <laughs> Funny, but um, oh my goodness, yeah, I was like, hey guys, no, 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 just hold on for a minute, you know, let's just sit. I don't know why I was saying it. I didn't even like. I wasn't even like a. See, I was just like, let's just sit, man. Check this out. Like, what's going on here is kind of more than like it's more than just a three-hour trip that you guys are having fun with. You know, you guys are having a lot of fun this three-hour trip. That's just like random and and kind of all over the place, and you know, pushing and shoving and laughing and look at the clouds, you know. And I'm just like, hold on, let's just like breathe for a second. And they were like, oh my god, you're tripping, you're tripping, you're like, they gave me so much shit. And um, 
And that was like a moment I really connected with that part of society too, that part of society that's seeking that type of freedom is when I was like, oh, like I kind of get the connection here by why this is a thing, you know? And um, yeah, that was like another one. I was like, oh, psychedelics are cool, but it wasn't something that already was, wasn't true. And it was something that was always been true. And that's what I realized. Um, and I realized I need to, you know, probably overdid it in the next like six months, I would say. And I had some really interesting experiences and I realized this is nothing to be messed with. This is life. This is energy. This is my energy. This is my will. These are my tissues. This is my nervous system. I can't be frying this out. I can't be not keeping up with my mission and my mind. And I, I realized that building a discipline that's, um, that's going to keep you strong, open and happy, like tapping to the natural state, like you have to build a discipline so that you can learn how to open your energy channels. But at the same time, once they're open, you have to learn how to tame your mind so the energy flows freely. And now your mind waits for your next command. And like when you get to that, uh-huh, you have to keep that up. Like you have to keep commanding the mind make it give it a five-year ten-year plan sure but give it a one-day plan two five weeks ten one year okay well you know don't be too perfectionist but like you have to you have to direct it and if you don't direct your mind um you can't see the future you can't see anything because it's going to blind you you know it's like a dirty windshield it's just you can't but if you have a clean windshield and you can actually focus on the future you can see it you can prepare for it uh, without fear um, and you can even uh, meditate and create, you know, create your outcome. Outcome of the unknown that you created versus outcome of the unknown that you didn't know you created. You know? I, I get you. Thank, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, I really appreciate that. That's, you know, those are, if there's anything people are less inclined to speak about than re religion nowadays, a lot of times it's, the use of entheogens or, or psychedelics uh, is getting to be more acceptable in society lately. Uh, and I tend to agree with you. And then I think it's, it's almost becoming too accept, too acceptable. And uh, a lot of people who are using it in this search for greater knowledge are doing it too frequently and, and not using it in the way that maybe it, it uh, is better served. But that being said, that's a judgment. Who knows? Everybody's different. Maybe they're getting something yeah, out of it. That, um, the reason I'm, cause sometimes, you know, you bring it up and I don't want it to be, I want it to be neutral. I want it to be neutral. I don't want it to be like, I'm putting out, putting it out for people. I don't want it to sound like I am keeping away from people. It's, it's everyone's own responsibility, you know, your own mind, your own consciousness. So. And I like how you, uh, you know, you kind of realized yourself that, okay, maybe I'm doing this too much and I need to scale it back. And sometimes that's what it takes. You have to kind of swing into the extreme in one way before you get that wake up, that light bulb moment that says, okay, you know, I got to, fall back to the middle somewhere so uh yeah just thanks again for for sharing that with us and that that's awesome that uh, you were able to have that experience in that uh, so i guess where i want to go from here is um when you think about your spiritual practice and the when you started you think back to that 2011 2012 when you kind of started on that journey how did spending the time focusing on the non-physical side of your life improve. no time with <laughs> there was no time with physical 
like it was all physical at first because i was in pain man <laughs> mm. it was very physical i realized like i realized the power of my mind at a young age i was very communicative i was very talkative friendly i had a, i did a lot of things um i started talking before i would turn on my side as a baby you know mm. i was very lazy as a body like my mom said that i didn't even like move until i was nine months but then they would sit me in a chair and i'm asking these like questions and shit and i listen to myself it's like really nice pronunciation that kind of creeped me out man i was like why am i talking so clearly like even it feels more clear than now <laughs> but so it was very uh very interesting to hear my voice as a as a baby but at the same time my body wasn't like i remember going to a chiropractor orthopedist as a young i had like feet like this you know what do you call those pigeon footed mm-hmm. and uh remember he called he told me that i was orthopedically retarded to my mom and i was like like it felt so bad he realized how fucked up my body looked or feel like function or not fucked up but like you know i guess you call it fucked up i don't it's not anymore so i can say that <laughs> so it was like, oh my God, he's, he knows what, like, I was wrong with me or whatever. Like I said, I couldn't do push-ups even. I was like almost 20. But I felt like really bo- like really weird in my shoulders and my heart. Plus, you know, I've, I had my car, my tantric numerology karma number four is, is the heart. So my karma is with the heart. So I have a lot of injuries here um, and, and injuries in the, in the knees and ankles, like from just not having a yin practice most of my fighting mm-hmm. You know, so at first, bro, I couldn't sit straight. It was like this. And I couldn't like, I see overweight people sometimes and they look similar to it. They're like really tight and like things are in the way. I was like, not overweight at all, but I kind of looked like it. <laughs> and, and man, it, it was, it was painful. So it took me years to like bring my knees a little closer to the ground, you know, when I crossed my legs and I started going to this Kundalini yoga class. Um, separate one like my first teacher moved to moved somewhere else like outside she had like other private things going on with her life that um we stopped con- contact for a bit but during the time i would go to random classes and this this one guy is an old kundalini teacher in santa Ana, california ramdas Singh. he's a very controversial figure um but he's the funnest and the greatest guy if we go to orange county together i'll take you to him excellent yeah <laughs> he he was like just sit and cross leg is a chiropractic adjustment. Try it. And I was like, because he always sat straight and he was like almost 80 years old and looked fucking great, you know? And talked to us and we chanted and breathed all class and he didn't move once. His legs were all, always crossed and he just always talked straight. And I was like, I need that, you know? And because he's so old, it was inspiring me. And um, I just started sitting straight and I started doing a bunch of different Kriyas by forcing myself to sit straight. And like a lot of this, like nine minute Kriyas, I did a lot, you know, those ones. I did a lot of the um, navel adjustment Kriyas, like breath of fire is one of my favorite. Navel adjustment Kriya is literally how I heal all my body, bowing job side. I bow to job side, I chant job every morning. Um, and I've been doing, you know, various Kriyas for different days, 90 days or whatnot. So I've done a lot of like, level one trainings and I've helped out level one trainings. I've done level two trainings. I've done like in the last, since 2015, I've done probably over 20 tantrics, you know, and 
my body feels amazing. Like anytime it starts feeling 10% close to, close to what I, the stress I felt like um, 10 years ago, I am, I am like, I change everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not acceptable. I'm never going to let my shit fall apart like that. So I start really steering myself again and start rebuilding myself again. You know, especially after hardships, you know, someone died or going through a breakup or all these things like injuries is a part of that. Um, whatever it is, or even like a thought, like a, something that's challenging, like you got to like have the knowledge to work that out. And that's why I love I love my practice and building the home home practice, you know, and it keeps changing. So it's great. Right on. Yeah, that's kind of what I was and- getting at with that is is how the spiritual side of how healing through the spiritual can actually impact the physical, uh, even improve your, your performance in athletics or competition in certain ways. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you in that I found, um, you know, I found Kundalini specifically to be, uh, incredibly healing, um, obviously spiritually, but also through the physical. So I would say I'm tapping into, um, I experienced a lot of highs in the beginning of this because I was looking for the high and the freedom. So my mind was stuck, so I was looking for freedom. But now, last few years, I've been tapping into more of the habits. Like, too much freedom didn't make me a better person. It's necessarily more energy doesn't make me a better person. My habits do. Um, my subconscious um, traits or whatever they are that are not for the greater good, you know? So I'm like, okay, I got to work on myself on a deeper level. And... Um, now I'm learning to like practice pretty much on only for that reason, because it, it gives you a lot of energy and freedom too. So, but if you're off, if your direction's off, a lot of energy and freedom can give you uh, off, send you off more. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, it's like a side effect of a um, psychedelic experience that's not promoting in the longevity. Um, so it's the same thing. It's like any psychedelic experience that's not promoting your um, highest living in the long term, that's important. In the long term, infinite term, infinite term. If you're not experiencing infinity every day, then you have work to do, which we all do. You know. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> uh, don't I know it? So, um, all right. So I want to kind of uh, jump into a sort of rapid fire series of questions here. It's kind of a popular thing to do on on podcasts nowadays and i enjoy it enjoy listening to it so I enjoy asking these questions as well uh your answers don't have to be rapid fire if you don't want them to be but uh, they can be as short as long as you want but uh yeah let's get into it so the first question i have is what rituals or ceremonies do you engage in before training and do they differ from ones you might practice before competition so any sort of ceremonies rituals you kind of either do before training or maybe before competition um yeah the word ritual is interesting i would say yeah i guess we could use ritual you don't want it to be an empty ritual though whenever you set a ritual for yourself it can like become meaningless really fast if you're not conscious every single time so you could call it a new formed habit or whatever i don't know whatever um what i do before training i actually make sure that i i do it all in the morning in amrit vela hours between 4 and 7 a.m I try to get everything, open my energy, open my body, do my breathing, mantra, meditation. Because I think of it like that. I'm like, if I'm a samurai in my imagination, I should be ready fucking right now. I should be ready right now for all of it. Right now. That's the warrior spirit. 
So like understanding that in you, I think that's my preparation. Like that's my primal, it's opening the primal energy channel. Oh, that's the Kundalini. So yeah, make sure that I do that in the morning. Um, take a cold shower. And before jujitsu, I make sure that I feel good in my body. Whatever it takes. If you have, sometimes I have to do something, you know? But before it was always when I, I was like, I always had to heal. So when I come to, when I came to more of a content state in my body, I feel like, ah, oh, I'm good right now. I can gradually warm up my body and stuff like that. But it's risky for newcomers or people that have stiff joints. It's riskier. So you definitely have to do something. So I would actually, I would say like, I would say squats, stretch pose, uh, Sarabhadande Kriya, um, Pranayamas, you know, any sort of breath work that you can do, do it from someone, something legit. People are out there doing all kinds of different breath works. They're not all for focus and elevation in the way. So you know what I'm saying? If you're doing breath work to get in the cold water, it's a different type of a you know, thing versus like using a specific hand, hand gesture and breathing, then that would have a different impact in your brain. So I would say find uh, sophisticated practices that work for you, you know, and, and make sure that you're in the right headspace before you train. You cannot like, that's a good question because this opens up a lot of doors in how you're approach jiu-jitsu training if you want to want it to last and if you want to uplift your um, energy and spirit um through the jiu-jitsu practice because jiu-jitsu means subtle form we call it gentle art but it's actually subtle form um it's from nothing to something and that requires intuition and conscious intention and using your willpower and have clean energy and clean aura for you to be able to respond in a in, in practice but also in life you know it teaches you in everywhere but in jiu-jitsu in, in practice you want to respond you don't want to have an automated system of engaging in your practice like i said that's a stupid ritual like if your ritual is to like high five and single leg every single time you're not even present you know like mm -hmm. you don't even, you're not watching where i'm stepping if you don't understand which weight where's the weight rhythm how fast i'm breathing and how, how, how tense are my muscles twitching, how relaxed I am. Because if I'm way more relaxed, you're in trouble because that's where wisdom comes from, you know? So I only work on my relaxation through everything. Only work on my relaxation. I don't think it's the way if you want to go in the world championships. I think you can lose matches trying to relax at the wrong time, you know? Also, like winning the world championships is also about relaxing, but then there's a professional performance code that goes with it. So I'd like to put that out there. Um, so if you're doing that, if you're a competitor jiu-jitsu fighter, um, like you want to, like you're an athlete at that point, it's not even about devotion. It's not, you're a professional athlete in a sporting event. Like, please let's take that out of the holy divine aspect of jiu-jitsu. You know, it can be holy. Like it's just like anything we utilize, right? Anything like with psychedelics or spiritual practice, jiu-jitsu practice, jiu-jitsu tournament, you make it holy. You make it divine. You know what I'm saying? Um, whether you're an athlete or whatever, it doesn't matter. You have to make it divine. But you can't mix being number one, being first, and having ego about wanting to win or having to wanting to prove yourself. That's when you're going to get hit hit the walls because you should already know how fucking amazing you are just to be just to be born and how great it is to have even an a, an inch of wisdom passed on to you. Uh, from your past experiences or some guides or some lessons from this lifetime like that makes you great tapping into your wisdom and realizing you are who you are and your soul is 
who you really are. Like that victory over self, that victory is prior. I was talking about earlier. That's priority victory. Um, yeah. So I think like that's really what you should focus on because that's just going to automatically protect you on the mats because mm -hmm. you won't be spazzing out with fear. This, this is getting rid of fear and anxiety. This is getting rid of, these are the side effects of a continuous practice. Um, you know what I'm saying? All these habits that are not promoting to your um, well-being, you can start noticing and checking them out. And it would actually like, and you use your practice as an impersonal experience of your nervous system. Your nervous system is going to, respond to the impact and like you learn to not you know you learn to not react in that role like i don't if you take a jiu-jitsu class with me that's all i focus on any position you're in i make sure that you understand the posture asana you know and you understand your fluidity non-attachment to that form so that you're to, you're able to respond um, with the times changing you know adapt to the change of the space and time um that's that's something about like surrendering but being focused and and, you know, um, it's called faith, I think, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, shunya, state of zero, mushin, mushin, right? That's something that jujitsu guys will know, mushin. Mushin, yeah, those guys know that. So, and it means mushin is a part of the Zen practice. And then shunya, they call in India, shunya is um zero state of zero it's listening it's the state of listening that's a good way to explain listening to the fight and and responding because primarily none of us want to lose so you don't have to worry about losing like your body your animal is going to already tell you when it's time to fight back you know or like get out of that position so like the, the the body never wants to lose you know the body never wants to lose so like you have to surrender to that will and you also have to be humble because life you lose that's right jujitsu you lose too right especially in the beginning man you're gonna lose a lot yeah. i mean that's like <laughs> everything i have like a whole simulation of my karma every time i roll i'm like all right <laughs> okay uh do you carry any totems or symbols with you into training or competition no no Oh, I'd like to also share that, like, one time in competition, the, one of my best performances at Jiu-Jitsu World League was um, I just laid down and just shavasana for 45 minutes with long, long, deep breathing. And I had to. I was after a long drive from Albuquerque to San Francisco. And I couldn't do anything else but to lay down, you know. And I just got so deep. And so I had such a psychedelic experience on my own. It was after White Tantric over here in New Mexico. And... Uh, I was like flying, man, after that drive. And I had to like lay down and ground myself. And I, I felt so good. Um, so good with that. My dog. Hey, Benji. I just moved in yesterday. Look at my dog. He's ready awesome. to go. <laughs> so, yeah, like that. I think whatever is necessary in that day is important. So you have to really get to know yourself to really, truly know what you need in that moment, you know? I agree with you there. Um, does your religion or spirituality, yours personally, elevate any specific numerology in any way? And how does this manifest itself in your sport or athletic discipline? I, I heard you mention something about the number four earlier. So I was curious about that. Yeah. So in Kundalini, I learned about tantric numerology. It's like there's many different numerology systems. And this is the one I'm more familiar with, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert at all. I have a lot of friends that are able to explain to me in a deeper sense of what um it could interpret 
right? But at the end of the day, you tapping into the truth of a number is important because there's a quantum reality to the creation. There's a quantum reality to the creation, which has manifested itself in solar, in the solar spectrum of solar uh, systems. And in the solar systems, everything is distance and geometry and timing and, and, and you know, magneticism um, is what manifests the manifests matter. So when you understand that, and that's when it gets really interesting because all these knowledge that comes from like all the science, the cosmos, they have to do with math, really. Like your sign has to do with math. Your birthday has to do with math. It's the track of time and space. Can you not? Jeez, I have to get it. So it's a, it's a track of time and space. So if you understand that, I think you would have to get in touch with it on your own. I think me explaining what number four means could totally throw you off um, right now, unless we're talking under the same context. Like in numerology, in tantric numerology, it's uh, it's practical approach. So it's not like counseling. It's more like these are the these are your um, numbers, and these numbers are due to your birthday and the calculation of that event. And then, oh great, here we my new curtains. Awesome. And uh, and so you have to get to know what that means in your life and understand like the universal meaning of numbers so that you can utilize these tools because you have to have the wisdom to utilize any tool. You have to have the intuition to utilize or have the right guidance to utilize these tools. So you can have, you can definitely have a guide or something, someone that understands more of these things, but you also don't want to give all of your power to anyone um, for any type of service i would say you have to hold your own integrity because that can also be funny right like somebody can tell you oh my god something horrible is going to happen to you in three months and you can be like fuck that like what why would you tell me that that's not something i can work with <laughs> like you know so i like the practical approach in numerology if you can somehow make find that with the right person and the right teachings you know sure awesome um is there a book or tome central to your spirituality and if so do you have a favorite passage or parable <laughs> it's really cool um it's a great question i'm kind of a scanner when it comes to books you know kind of a, a kind of i love experiencing life on my own finding my own truth and wisdom and I'm kind of obsessed with that um, but at the same time, I think information is great. You just have to make sure, you know, there's that type of a book where you just get information from. So I don't have like a favorite one. There's so many information sources now. You can literally use your intuition and really try to neutrally read and pick up some wisdom if you can from anywhere. But what, I, what I'm really impressed by, like I said, is totally different. Like what I'm about talking about, this exploration is different than like, what if someone explored, but also created a way to engage in the frequencies of life through sound? And that's called Nod Yoga. It's the, it's the science of vibration. So you're using the science of vibration as a yoga practice to tap in. Yoga means connect. You're connecting your finite self with the infinite consciousness, your finite computer with the master computer. Um, mind is a medium. So for that, um, 
I got carried off there. What was the question again? We were talking about a book or tome. Oh yeah, yeah. And not so for, you guys like got where keep. I mean, this is like this is a lot because this is like what I just said is beyond any book, you know. But at the same time, Siri Guru Granth is what I want to talk about. It's the is the Sikh scriptures, um, and Sikh means disciple, and your student as a disciple and disciple of what right so who's your guru who's your teacher and the Sikh understanding or approach is the experience i have from darkness to light from unknown to known the power that gives me that experience is my guru mm. they and then there's so many different ways to relate to that guru relate to that teacher relate to that light bringing uh, consciousness um it's also one with the creator obviously but it's uh humans you know create the concept of god to relate to the truth of creation you know so this something has developed itself so the sikh scriptures have a lot of shabads they call it they're poems they're not there's there's um like the idea of sikh was rebellion against religion in the beginning it was like I don't belong to anything. I don't do that. I don't do this. I'm just a student of the guru, you know, student of the guru. And that's a Sikh. So, but the power of vibration, the power of mantra, the tongue hitting the upper palate, that's the power of sound, power of speaking, power of intention, because the vibration and is, is etherical. Ethers is what contains all the other four elements and all the matter is the vibrational frequency that holds it and cycles it through time and space. What a, what a mir miraculous um, existence and cre creation. Um, so with the mantra, you're able to, with sound current, you're able to tap into all layers of yourself from earth, from, you know, m m like hard, hard matter to soft matter to, fluids to air in your body to <laughs> to consciousness and awareness to raise your consciousness right like raise it from the bottom of your body to the higher center of your body so that you can manifest this animalistic energy for creative creativity and human purpose versus being in a reactive animalistic state of of, of a karmic um realm um one would say so I would say, yeah, just like Siri Guru Granth is really something spectacular. Because if someone writes something on a piece of paper, like Tesla said, or someone says something, you read their code, or you, you read what they said, and you feel what they felt. Words are very special in that sense. Um, so when you, like Rumi, like to me, Rumi, what he writes is very similar to, um, he's amazing. He's the ultimate lover, you know? Um, like all these gurus and, and saints that have walked this place, that have they have realized and said things that really pull you into that loving vibration. Um, but you can't rely on that. You have to have your own. You know, you have to build your own vibration too. But those, that's how you do it. You repeat the sound. That's how you practice nod yoga. You repeat the sound current. The tongue hits the upper palate and it sends vibration frequencies to your brain. Every sound hits a different spot. Every, every, every spot vibrates a different part of your body. Because your tongue is everything. Like your tongue has a lot of power and a lot of fluidity. Um, it really connects the base of your spine to your brain. 
And that's why they said, tell you like press your tongue, tip of your tongue behind your teeth when you're meditating. It's like you're pulling the energy up. So chanting mantras is, is, in my opinion, the highest form of yoga where you really, you can just really free yourself through it. You know, you can really do magic with it because it's vibration. And, you know, it takes work and a lot of time, but it's worth it because, like, you don't want to be stuck in the same prison cell of your mind or have a bunch of complexes or live in an anxious state of mind, you know? So, um, like, that's what I've found that works the most is, like, reading, but reading in the sense to, like, direct my mind versus to, like, learn information, you know? Like, reading to give direction to my um mind so that it, i can get it under my consciousness's direction versus it's giving me feelings and signals of different emotions that are you know our minds are everyone's mentally challenged so um i'd like to take i'd like to take it easy on my mind so that's why i do it i definitely feel you there i, I mean uh we've talked a little bit about nod yoga yeah. on instagram and um I'm with you with all that, uh, you know, Kundalini yeah. has a ton of mantra chanting and, uh, mm -hmm. for myself, you know, I know I, uh, singing is really something that, um, kind of, yeah, that I mean, that's me. what it is. It's singing. It's lovingly singing, you know, devotional singing. Um, what place or places come to mind for you when I mentioned the term place of worship? I'm curious your answer on this one. any place anytime i knew it <laughs> uh okay just a couple more questions here for the uh, active recover or the uh rapid fire um sorry i was reading the next question there and we kind of already talked about this how has your spirituality religion impacted your recovery from an injury or illness uh we kind of covered that and let me ask you this last one um are there any saints yogis rishis or coaches or enlightened figures that have had a profound impact on your spirituality and fitness? I'm sure there have been, but maybe one or two that just kind of stand out for you. Well, I already told you about my yoga teacher that helped me out. Um, but the, I think Yogi Bhajan brought like such hardcore teachings, like such serious militant yogic teachings that it aligned with my, you know, jujitsu practice that it was like, wow this is very sophisticated like he's the first one to really expose all aspects of the practice and, and took hierarchy off of the system you know there's no guru like I'm, I'm not your guru you know i'm not your um whatever like you're your own you have to connect your own teacher and own the guide and own intuition so he took hierarchy out of yoga and systematized it for the capitalist world which really impresses me and because of him, I was able to find this practice and really heal all of my injuries and, and find some sort of freedom and, and stuff like that. Um, so I really am impressed by his performance in America after moving here and opening businesses and doing all kinds of stuff. Obviously, he's also a controversial figure. I think when you have a lot of power and um, you make a lot of change happen, you stick out, you know, and this is a world when you stick out you never hear good things you know i feel like you rarely hear good things and you know so he's really just i would say he he really inspires me in that sense of like so many people have found their spiritual freedom through this practice and and not just him like yogananda he came in 1930s he came way before him 
um, and Osho, mm -hmm. you know, all these guys were controversial figures, um, but they really brought like their, their teacher told them, all of their teacher told them. I don't know if Yogi Bhajit's teacher told them, but his idea was to go to Woodstock and help the hippies find their soul because he thought that was like necessary and taught Kundalini and White Tantric all over the world. But um, Osho too, Osho has amazing information, but at the same time, he was a little very controversial too. It was very interesting, like seeing all these people that bring it and understanding like, oh, spirituality doesn't have to do with like anything, but what we learn in Kundalini Yoga is it's literally like you build your own practice for yourself of consciousness without putting a framework around it framework is the, like self-awareness discipline mm -hmm. really yep uh, and and you try to stay away from every every other i would say framework because you know it's the world is like that it gets it gets a little uh karmic sometimes when you systematize a lot of things okay well that was the last of the rapid fire questions and uh, uh Sasha, I want to be cognizant of your time and be respectful for that. So uh, I just have a couple couple last questions here before I let you go. I have a lot more questions that we didn't get to, but we will save hey, those for. I'm not in a rush uh, right now. So it's okay. okay. Perfect. Perfect. So uh, just the, to wrap kind of things up, I'll ask a okay. couple extra questions then that uh, I was going to skip, but I'll throw them in here at the end. Um, no, easy. So many athletes and coaches talk about getting hot, finding a groove or achieving a flow state. How do you view these heightened states of awareness through your own lens of spirituality? So, you know, there's a lot of these examples of like in basketball, people get hot and they just can't miss. Um, or, you know, the, uh, you mentioned a little bit with jujitsu and a flow state and just curious your thoughts on what, what is it that they're tapping into in those moments when they find the groove? Oh, I think like, I would say balance of in and out, you know, um, it's a transcendental space, a mental space. I, I don't think, I think it's a natural state of the mind. So you have to just like build it over time. Um, usually, oh, I think the scientific answer to your question would be you're engaged in your senses and you have a real, real clear goal and you're really commanding your body and your mind and your senses and your focus and your intention and your emotion towards that goal um and you're able to like take off because energy just is able to now channel itself you know it's really the aligning of the mind into the focus like drishti and not like where you're looking but like where you're headed i think if you're headed and you put all of your being into it you're going to pull a lot of energy up and, and, you know, if you're an athlete, your energy channels are probably open and you feel, you feel all kinds of ways. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. What, um, when people think about maybe Kundalini yoga or, or just yoga, I know it, there's so many different types of yoga and it means one thing in the West and, and something else, you know, abroad. But when people think of it, what do you think is a common misconception that they have uh, when they hear well, I word. think the common misconception is is not knowing what Kundalini means. I think Kundalini does. So Kundalini doesn't mean Kundalini Yoga. We always refer to Kundalini Yoga as Kundalini because it's a brand at this point. Um, but Kundalini literally means the curl 
of the hair of the beloved, the curl of the hair of the beloved. So it has a special feel to the meaning. And, and it's that divine spiraling creative power, okay? And all yogas are engineered to raise the kundalini because raising the kundalini is your primal power and is your creative potential. That's why they relate to it as feminine and with a feminine tendency of tuning inwards, the yin aspect of, of life, that you're able to tap into your inner self and your mata shakti, your divine power, uh, so that <laughs> you can allow it, to, like I said, in Kundalini, they say the transfer, like the, literally the path you have to take is from your navel to your heart. Hmm. Because when the energy is stuck in the lower, lower triangle of the body, which is, you know, it shapes itself, <laughs> that you are experiencing more of like the earthy and, and fiery realms of creation. Um, it's that primal animalistic sexual desire, lust, anger, jealousy. These are all five thieves, they call it, right? Anger, lust, jealousy, um, greed, and attachment. These are the five thieves that steal your energy. And so yogis have figured this out over time. And they're like, oh, if we just kind of like do these movements and push this energy up this way, and it kind of feels great. You know, and then it really got sophisticated over the years. Um, but yeah, that's really that's really the the key there is to is to find that opening inside of yourself. That's awesome. Yeah, I never knew that that's what uh, Kundalini meant. I just had heard of Kundalini energy and just yeah, it was yeah. a name for the energy. Yeah. All yogas are to make erase Kundalini. The, the thing Kundalini yoga offers as branded Kundalini yoga, like what Yogi Bhajan taught here, they are like he taught different practices within the brand. So there's like Seva yoga where you're selflessly serving because when you don't think of yourself and you do a bunch of work all day, that's a great experience because you never have to think about yourself, right? So mm -hmm. you're experiencing yoga. It's called Seva. And then there's Karma yoga. Now you're engaging in some sort of service in exchange for something. And then you're, you're, it's, your, it's your job, right? So you just you dedicate yourself to this. That works that way. And then... Um, you know, Hatha yoga, Hatha yoga is, is all the, most of the yoga in the United States is, is all the 108 positions, you know, and it's a little more mild version. And then there's Kriya yoga and Kriya yoga is these specific sets that stimulate you in a specific way. So those are, those used to be given to more advanced students that used to be a hierarchical system in yoga too. There's Raj yoga, talking about hierarchy. Raj yoga means royal yoga so back in the day not everybody got the good shit you know the peasants didn't get the good shit they probably had a guru that freaking <laughs> no offense that wasn't a guru then huh they probably had a fake teacher fake black belt mm -hmm. taking their money or something like that so like but then when you were a royal being and a, and a, and a king and a whatever prince you got the highest of the highest education in all, all senses. So there was a little secrecy there with Kundalini and Raj Yoga that, in my opinion, Yogi Bhajan did a great job just exposing it because I understand it. Not everybody gets it, but I get it and I relate to it. Um, and I practice that, practice royalty, practice treating myself royally, tr treating my others royally, having an intention 
um, throughout the day, like you always have to come back to your truth, your true identity, your soul, because you get lost easy, you know, and the mind always plays tricks on you. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, last, yoga, last, yoga. Okay. Last little uh, question here, uh, and then we'll go to the wrapping up, but uh, how do you show gratitude through your life, through your practice towards your creator or creators? Like, uh, what, what does that look like for I you? Something that other people could take. I don't have creators. My creator is everyone's creator, obviously. Um, so I don't think you can show gratitude. I think some people can see it. I love seeing gratefulness from the outside. And I love feeling grateful. And you have to, like, sometimes that rising energy, you know, energy rising the kundalini and you're like thank you you know but then you can also bow your head and be grateful you know like really practice gratitude because when you practice gratitude it's like a heart massage and sometimes it's hard to be grateful so you can always get your mind out of the way and tap into your heart because that's the only way to experience gratitude is through what you already have um that you don't, that you're not attached to. Maybe you're, 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 you know, gratitude is a state of being. Okay, that's what he says. Gratitude is the highest attitude. <laughs> I like that. Gratitude is attitude. Attitude. No, that's what it is. Attitude of gratitude is the highest path. That's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> For sure. Okay. Um. What uh, what resources do you recommend people check out if they're interested in learning more about uh, Kundalini Yoga? I would say hit me up, talk to me about it. I can help you um, uh, create a personal practice. I think that's what's important. That's what I'm doing with Jiu-Jitsu Do. You know about Jiu-Jitsu Dharma. I, I, I love that. Yeah. So Jiu-Jitsu Do is an attempt into um, reintroducing Dharma into the community of jiu-jitsu fighters and MMA fighters because jiu-jitsu dharma represents um, the highest way you can practice jiu-jitsu. I'm not saying I do that, but I strive for that. Um, and I believe that jiu-jitsu, not I believe that I know that jiu-jitsu um, was a part of Zen Buddhism. It was a part of the samurai practice. And they were, they were Buddhists first. And then they practiced jiu-jitsu within their bushido. And bushido is the way of the blade. So the way, do means dharma. Um, dharma means your personal path and your soul's, soul's journey. So living your dharma is living your soul's journey consciously. And the samurai got introduced to it through daruma. Um, they, they call him Daruma. In China, he's known as Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma is the reason Chan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism came into play. He's the one that impacted the Shaolin Temple in China. And he told them, you're following religious rituals and missing the point here. This is how you find freedom. That's where Zen comes from. Um, and then that's where my, all martial arts come from. Because of Bodhidharma, he was a warrior and he was a yogi. And he came and taught this. So that's why the, all the all the martial arts have do at the end, you know, and dojo. So Bodhidharma 
is the reason we all practice today. Like I want to make that clear. So it goes back further, way more further that we can keep track of to him. Because everybody knows this in Asia. Japan has a whole festival around him. Um, so I feel like that's the magic of our lineage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always brought these questions, but these questions bring up a lot more than just a simple answer, you know? Oh, I know, man. That's what it's all about. We go deep here with these questions. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I like about it is is getting into these real conversations. And, you know, small talk is good. I guess if that's what you're into, but I've always been drawn to the the deeper questions on things. So I love hearing yeah. about all this. Um, awesome. So kind of one last little question, I think uh, two more. Uh, what is, Oh, last second, last question. Are there any other guests you'd like to hear uh, on this podcast? Anybody that you think I should reach out to, to kind of get their perspective or that you would be interested in hearing? Yes. Uh, Shanji, professor. Shanji, um, I feel like I see him diving into his yoga journey and mm. we got to hang out for a couple of times and um, it was in Austin, Texas last summer and, you know, he's so open. He's very open, open-minded. He, I know he's studying Hatha yoga with someone, someone from India. Um, sorry, I got cut out. He's studying Hatha yoga from someone from India and he's, you know, building his yoga practice. Um, so he's definitely, um, I don't know how experienced he's in yoga practice, but at the same time, you have to remember the guy's a legend. Mm. You know, it doesn't just take a random person to win um, all the things he's won. So he has tremendous experience in fighting and I think he has a really um, good intention um right now in his practice with like doing yoga and meditation and he's always smiling and happy so i think you guys will have a good time talking i will tell him i will tell him um that you know you should think about it <laughs> awesome yeah that would be that would be amazing to get to talk to him and like you mentioned he's anytime i see him he online he's he's always smiling he's always happy he seems like a great dude yeah. so i would definitely yeah. appreciate a chance to sit down with him on that or Paulo Gilabel, one of um, his friends, he's also a black belt in San Clemente. And I, Paulo reached out to me through one of his black belts and he's had a school for a long time. He's like a multiple stripe black belt. You know, he's in his forties, I'd say. Um, been a black belt over 20 years. I got to work with him with Kundalini. He, he was really into Yogananda and he was into autobiography of Yogananda, you know, that's a very popular book. And yeah, he's like, I want to learn to practice. I hear about Kundalini Yoga. I'll be sharp. You have to do this. And I spent maybe a few months at his academy with him. We did a lot of breath work and meditation and, you know, the Kundalini Yoga we could do. So he, I'm sure he has a lot of wisdom to share. And also he has a, he has a book called uh, 21 Immutable Principles of Jiu-Jitsu. And it was for all new are coming out just kind of like stigmatized of exposing just principles i'm kind of fr freaked out by it you know what i'm saying have you seen that one i, I haven't okay. seen that one we don't have to go there yeah it's, it's okay i'm not promoting it it looks cool though <laughs> no but worries yeah, i feel like the, the uh, shanji professor shanji would, would be cool paul gilabel would be cool um you can talk to chad keel these are all chad keel's my buddy we had a gym together and he's super into surviving and and nature and 
and jiu-jitsu is a black belt too um you can have my friend jamie on here they're all my good friends but jamie's well he's really good at talking and he's uh he's got his brown belt he has experience with you know his own uh you know i think psychedelic journey and and um you know life experiences that bring wisdom you know so yeah a lot of people have great things to say but you have to find yourself always you know i would say i would say close it on that because that's like the ultimate and that 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 is a good way to end it i was gonna say if there's anything <laughs> you want to tell tell people uh, about the you know in closing what would it be so find it yourself it. find your own your own journey your own path uh like bruce lee said take what is useful discard the rest and add what is uniquely your own so beautiful well uh thank you so much for taking the time today definitely appreciate it i am very grateful and uh, i'm sure that we'll i'm gonna have to pick your brain on some of the stuff that you told me today so you you this won't be the last you hear from me and uh now that i'm over here on the west coast we'll have to set up some time to either me get down there to to visit your gym which i definitely want to do um or maybe we meet up somewhere in california sometime and uh where are you in california i'm actually in oregon now but uh oh. california would be kind of maybe a middle ground but where, where in oregon eastern oregon uh okay tri cities hermiston area got it got it yeah cool man i was up there earlier last uh last summer yeah so i'm uh, i'm trying to put out the feelers in this area and uh see what's the good up here and uh yeah, I'll definitely look forward to, to connecting again and uh, and sharing some more. So, yeah, man, I'm I'm thankful you reached out and we did this we did this together, and like you said, there'll be more. So awesome, lots of fun. Take care. Have exactly. a great rest of your day. See ya. You too, brother. Enjoy your day, and um, yeah, we'll talk about who to get on here. Awesome. Thanks. All right. See ya.